now. Welcome to episode two of Make Defense Great Again. My name is Chris Vasser, a.k.a. Coach Vass. Thank you so much for joining me. We have a true legend in the house today, Mr. Don Brown from the University of Michigan. I'm so psyched for you to hear this. This man was on the eve of fall camp and still found time in his busy schedule to sit and talk with me about defense. As you'll hear, we talk about his coaching journey, his overall philosophy in today's game, solving problems with aggression, and living with the pressure philosophy, also setting the tone with pressure, and using different defensive personnel packages to create advantages and matchups for him. We talk about forcing the offense to react to the defense, his love of overhangs and movement in the run game, as well as fitting some gap schemes and some specific techniques in his cover one, two trap, and bracket coverage package. Before we get into the interview, I wanted to cover a few things real quick. First, we got a couple weeks left of the long format of the podcast before we get into our in-season Q&A setup. Also, come join the conversation on football Twitter with me. You can follow me at Coach Vass or the show's account at MDGA Podcast. Also, visit the new website at www.coachvass.com. We have our infamous pop-up clinics latest news and some new articles there's a lot of fun stuff on there make sure you stop by and lastly i can't start the interview without thanking a few key people for making this happen obviously thank you to coach brown i'd also like to thank joe moorhead jerry gordon keith fagan and andy guyon for helping put this together i'd also like to thank james light cody alexander and brady gravehold for helping me fill in the blanks with Coach Brown's schemes with some questions that I had. And to you, the listener, who, after I announced that Coach Brown was coming on, gave such a crazy reaction, it fired me up. The whole time I was editing and working on this, I was just like, I can't wait for these guys to hear Coach Brown. He's freaking awesome. So without further ado, let's get it going. Let's get into it, man. My guest today is the living legend, Don Brown, defensive coordinator for the University of Michigan. Coach, welcome to the show. Uh, looking forward to it, Chris. Well, me too, Coach. I've wanted to talk to you for years, and I feel honored and blessed that I, uh, we're getting to talk today. And uh, I, I'm looking forward to – I've watched a lot of your stuff over the past couple days, and – I know you're going to drop some truth bombs and some nuggets on us, so I can't wait to get to it. Sounds good. Let's get it. All right. So before we get into the nuts and bolts, give me your brief coaching background. Give us a little bit of your journey to where you are and how you got to where you are in Michigan. Well, it's a long one. Um, Started in 1977 at Hartford High School in White River Junction, Vermont. Was the assistant football, assistant basketball, head baseball, and taught phys ed. So that was my first five years of coaching. Then uh, my uh, former offensive coordinator at uh, um, Norwich, where I went to school, uh, became the running backs coach at Dartmouth. And uh, through Coach Hershey, I was able to uh, connect with a guy by the name of Joe Mowgli. Does that name ring a bell at all? It does not, sir. 
right. Joe was um, the uh, recent head coach at Coastal Carolina. But before that, he was the defensive coordinator at Dartmouth and then left and went to Merrill Lynch, eventually found his way to TD Ameritrade and made it a six to $700 million uh, corporation and then went back to coaching. So uh, his stories much traveled, especially, uh, you know, in the financial circuits, because that's where he cut his teeth from a business standpoint. But after my uh, year there as a restricted earnings coach, I went to Mansfield University as the defensive coordinator. Uh, one year there, uh, went back to Dartmouth as the defensive coordinator at 27 years old and worked for Joe Ukeka. Uh Was there for uh, three years. Uh, then went and uh, really uh, one of my formative experiences was uh, I went to Yale as the defensive coordinator and worked for the great Carm Cosa. And, um, you know, that guy just taught me so much about, you know, relationships with players and, and how to treat your players and, and, you know, being organized and uh, from a defensive perspective um, left there and we got my first head coaching job at Plymouth state university in, in New Hampshire. Um, Went from there to Brown, back in the Ivy League to Brown for two years with Mark Whipple. Uh, we both went together to UMass in 1998, won a national title. Uh, in 99, we were in the semifinals of the um, FCS playoffs. And then in two, uh, let me see here, in 2000, I went to Northeastern as the head coach. Um, inherited a 2-9 and nine team, and three years later, we were 10-2. and two. So... Uh, really a, a great building experience and coached some really great young men. Um, back to UMass as the head coach for a five-year period. And from there, worked for the great Ralph Friedgen as the defensive coordinator at Maryland. Um, worked for Coach Pascaloni at UConn as the defensive coordinator in uh, 2011 and 12. Um, then on to Boston College as the defensive coordinator in 13, 14, 15, and uh, just about ready to enter my fourth year at the University of Michigan as defensive coordinator for the for Coach Harbaugh, and, and obviously one of the guys I have tremendous respect for. And that is quite the journey, Coach. Uh, I, I, uh, I went to brush up last night on um, your bio, and funny enough, out of everything that you talked about, and there's some amazing stuff with some amazing coaches. I crossed over. I think Coach Whipple and I crossed paths as I was leaving Miami as a student assistant. He was coming in, or maybe it was a year or two after. We run um, Paul Pascaloni's 4-3 Lightning defense versus the wing T at times. Like, just amazing stories. Amazing coaches you've worked with. My friend Jerry Gordon you've crossed paths with. Just guys I kept running into. Oh, he's the best. He, he helped me. He used to send me. Uh, I remember we played a flexbone team and I had some questions and he sent me handwritten, like eight pages of handwritten notes about 12 years ago. And I, I had nothing to offer him at the time. I didn't know my head from a hole in the ground. And he took the time to spend with me. And, and I, you know, just an awesome man. But uh, the thing that stuck out the most to me was when I was on your Wikipedia page was you were the head baseball coach. Your baseball coaching record was really good. I was like, I didn't, first of all, I didn't know you were a baseball coach. And second of all, 
you were you you did a damn good job too. <laughs> yeah, nineteen ninety uh, uh, one. It was actually one summer. Ed Woodson um, had had let the baseball coach go, and I got a call from Coach Kozer and said, "You got to drive back to campus. Uh, Ed wants to talk to you." So I'm like, "What did I do wrong?" <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, got back to campus, you know, and um, was on vacation. And uh, when I got back, he said, "Hey." Uh, you're going to be the head baseball coach. I said, Ed, I'm the defensive coordinator in football. And he goes, I know, I know. And you're going to do that too. He goes, it's going to be a long year, but it'll be rewarding for you. And he goes, these guys need you more than you need them. But I got a great story. 24 of those 25 players have gotten together and they're coming to watch a game at Michigan this year on that baseball team. That is unbelievable. That, you know, 24 to 25. Awesome. You hear, you know, you hear stories like, oh, it's more than the game. It's more than the wins and losses. It's more than all this stuff. But when you hear, and some people, including myself, sometimes roll their eyes and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But hearing a story like that is just unbelievable. That's really incredible. Yeah, that's a good one. Wow. Great dudes, too. I mean, uh, there were several guys. Uh, one, two, three. I, I think seven of the nine positional players got drafted. And uh, four of the pitchers got drafted. So it was a talented team and uh, was a great experience. And obviously I was a high school baseball coach, but that was a little bit of a different deal. I mean, there were yeah, I can imagine. several nights I was sleeping in the office that year. I can't even imagine. I, I, that's that's when I was going through and I'm scrolling through, and like I said, I'd known a little bit about your background, so I was like, okay, I remember that, I remember that. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa baseball, because it had your head coaching record, <laughs> and I was like, it said head coach football, and then head coach baseball, and I'm like, oh, my first thought was, oh, he must have coached high school baseball, and then I looked, and I'm like, no, I guess not. <laughs> well, yeah, you did, but. You was talking about college as well, so that's it's incredible. And, yeah, no uh, college experience. Just, that is uh, awesome. You know, ended up putting together. You know, I had a great staff, and, and uh, we were able to make it work. And you know, that th- th- this past year um, was Yale's uh, most recent. They hadn't won a baseball championship since that '92 team, so. That's pretty exciting for them to finally get back into the uh, championship profile for sure. Let's get into some football stuff, Coach. I'm going to start off on on a global level. What is your 30,000-foot view of defending offenses in 2019? Well, I I, I think there's some several things. Um, You know, and it's funny because – you know, everywhere I kind of go, it's it's a little bit of an adjustment. In fact, I think they're in several, you know, in several scenarios, um, you have to find the right head coach that is interested in playing, you know, defense, you know, the way uh, the way I believe it should be played. So from this perspective, I think you've got to, take an aggressive approach to defense. Um, now, you know, the minute you say that, everybody thinks you just start blitzing from everywhere and, 
you know, you're, you're in high risk scenarios and, 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 and obviously it's not the basic approach that several coordinators will take. However, there are some things that are important. One, I believe that you have to stop the run. Well, you know, you can say that and then give it lip service, or you can set your concepts up. And especially in this day and age, I'm a big believer that you got to have the overhangs built into your defense, whether it be zone or whether it be through man-to-man principles, or you need to be able to, through your man-to-man principles, you know, rotate guys so that you can get them to the point of attack based on the movements of the, the running backs and the receivers. So, my first inclination is to tell you, you know, I'm, I'm a big believer. You got to stop the run uh, as a basic, you got to stand for something. So w- whatever that is, whatever you believe in, whatever you believe that has to be done, you know, to be successful on defense, you know, you, you, you need to articulate what those things are and you need to, uh, in essence, sell that to the players so that they have a tremendous understanding of what you're trying to accomplish. So for us, it's stop the run. And most of my time in through, through game plans are designed to get off the field on third down. Um, the faster you can get off the field, the better off you are. Now, how do you put yourself in position to get off the field? Well, if you're just, uh, you know, focused on third down and, you, and you're playing base defense on first and second down, you're going to be in situations where, you know, all right, first and ten, it's second and six, it's third and normal. Well, normal situations don't give you a, a, an, an advantage to get off the field. So it lends to having pressures built in that are run past pressures, uh, not only just stop the, you know, stop the pass game on third down, you have to have several ways to get yourself into the third and long so you can get off the field. Now, I don't know what it is, um, but in the last three years at Michigan, I think we're number one in the country in third down on two of the last three years. So, you know, That's incredible. Uh, one of them was was historic. It was in the twenty seven percent range. So I think you need to be able to put you know put time into how you're going to get yourself to third down, and then what are the best scenarios that you're going to utilize to attack opponents' offenses, and what do they do well? And, uh, you know, just how you're going to go ahead and counteract that on third down, you know, uh, it, but you know, in that, in that context, what you do on first and second down can impact it. So, you know, like I mentioned first and 10, you're in a base. Okay. It's second and six, second and six, you're in a pressure. Uh, they run the football to the perimeter. You create a four yard minus minus play. And now it's third and long and the advantage to the defense. Well, you know, if they're on schedule and now it's third and, you know, third and two, third and three, third and four, well, you know, 
advantage offense before the ball's even snapped. So I, I, I think, you know, from my perspective, that's, that's the scenario that we like, you know, we look to attack and that's where, in my opinion, sacks, pressures, and TFLs become the gateway to getting you off the field on a down to down basis. I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's how I feel. No, it makes perfect sense. Now, I know that one of your famous phrases is solve solve problems with aggression, which I think a lot of coaches really it really resonates with, and I'm sure it resonates with your team, and it sounds like that's a cornerstone of what you do. Yeah, without question. I Again, you know, uh, when I was hired, uh, when I was hired in 2009 by Ralph Friedgen, um, I was the head, I was presently the head coach at, at the University of Massachusetts, and we had a conversation on New Year's Day um, at his at, at the at his office, and uh, you know his his comment to me was, um, I I need I we I need a defense like yours that um, that I we, we were very young, we were going to be a young football team period on both sides of the ball. And he said, "I want to be aggressive. I want to build an attitude, and uh, we'll 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 garner the benefits down the road." And that first year, we we struggled. I don't know if it was two and nine. I mean, three and nine or two and ten. But then in 2010, we were nine and four, 21st in the country, and Ralph Friedman was the ACC Coach of the Year. So, you know, um, he had a plan. He knew what he wanted uh, on the defensive side of the ball. And, uh, you know, he just basically told me, be yourself and go do it. So, um, you know, from that perspective, that was a a good scenario. When I was with Mark Whipple in 98, we were four and two at the midway point. We inherited a team in our first year that was two and nine. We were four and two. We had just lost in overtime to UConn, 44 to 41. And he and I met and had a conversation. He said, let's go get him. And the next thing you know, we blinked our eyes. We woke, you know, we woke up at the end of the year and we won the national title. That's so, incredible. Uh, and it was all, all pressure. You know, I mean, we were somewhere in the vicinity of, you know, 65 to 80% pressure. And then uh, my last story for you on that perspective, when I was hired here by Coach Harbaugh, he said to me, I said, Coach, you know, I'm about 65% pressure. And he said, no, Don, you're about 75% pressure. (laughs) So he he knew exactly what he was getting. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really not the pressure that's the forefront. It's the ability that you as the coordinator are in control. You determine when you pressure, you determine when you disguise, and you determine when you play base defense. Now, when you're pressuring a lot, you can show a look that's a, a, you know, a pressure type look and people will respect it. But if you're not a pressure team and all of a sudden you show a pressure, they're not going to, they're not going to believe that you're coming. Absolutely. So, you know, when you, you, you need to, you need to climb over the walls. Like I tell the guys, the Huns are coming over the walls. You need to climb <laughs> over the walls a good amount of time for those people to believe that you're going to come. 
Yeah, I see guys getting these double A gap looks, and or they'll walk a guy up over the center and drop him every time, and it's it's like, what the hell's the point? I mean, I, I, I've it, seen exactly. teams that they're, they're walking up, they're trying to get certain protections, they're they're bluffing, you know, they they're walking a guy up over the center, they're playing double threes, double fives, and they're trying to get big on, they're trying to get the team to check to big on big, and the teams just screw it, we're gonna stay in our half slide protection or whatever, because you're not gonna bring that guy, and you know. As a younger coach, I learned that too. I saw that double A gap pa- uh, package, and you know, I was trying to bluff too much without bringing it. And I think, I, I think you just got to bring it to, to to make them honor it. I totally agree with you. You, you got to b- make them believe that you're going to come, and the only way to make them believe it is to do it. So, Absolutely. You know, that's that's my big belief in that. You know, uh, you know, it's now here's the deal. It's a way of life. You know. Some defensive coordinators have a stomach for it, and some don't. Now, here's the biggest challenge. Not every minute is going to be, you know, perfect. So when adversity strikes, you've got to have the stomach that you're going to stay the course and, uh, you know, obviously continue to believe in what you believe and to continue to be aggressive um, because obviously, you know, games change. But there's right. where the multiplicity. You know, you mentioned the packages. That's where the multiplicity and the and the multiple looks and and having fourteen to sixteen different pressures that you can call on on a week to week basis so that okay. Some weeks you go out there and everything you call, it just seems to fall into place. Well, the next week you go out there Point A, point B, and point C just got, you know, chewed up. The question is, can you uh, move on to to point D, pressure E and F, and, uh, you know, make good decisions and and try to, you know, attack what you feel their weaknesses are. And, you know, that's that's the beauty of coaching. That's the challenge we all face on a day-to-day basis. Whereas when you're in a base look, those guys – well, there's your look. If you can be successful in it, great. Well, if you can't be successful in it, how can you change momentum? How can you impact the game? And I think that's what head coaches, you know, hire defensive coordinators for is how you're going to impact the game. Well, and you get a guy, you know, that high, and I don't know if you've ever been, and I'm not asking you to tell on anybody if it's ever happened, but, you know, I, I think young coaches like myself – you know, I'm a, I'm a Gary Patterson disciple, a Keith Burns. I don't know if you're familiar with Keith Burns, but Keith Burns disciple. And it was, we're bringing their dogs package, we're bringing forward from a side. And it's, you get hit a couple times and, and you start to question yourself. And I guess my question to you is, I mean, besides a lot of years of experience with success, when you're in those moments, two-part question, how do you, when you get hit on something, when you're being aggressive, how do you maintain that belief that even though it's not working this now, uh, it's not working right now, it'll come around? And how do you convince the head guy who's looking at you, going, "What are we doing? Uh, how do you how do you convince them to stay the course?" To to get the head guy on your on your on your side is, I mean, there's you know, obviously you have a body of work, you know, and he's seen that body of work. Right. But the most important people to get on your side are the players. So, for example, 
just at scenario, let's say, you know, day one, you go out, you have a great day, you pressure the heck out of people. Um, you know, you're, you're seven, you're eight PFLs, seven TFLs in four sacks, you know, under 300 yards of offense for the day. Well, just remember the players are watching. So game two, you come out, all of a sudden you get hit big on a pressure. Okay. If all of a sudden you, you know, grab your throat and go basic, the players know it too now. So they're going to feed off of you. So you have demonstrated to them. It's not, it doesn't work. It's not going to work. So we'll just sit back and, and, and go from there. They're the most important, you know, forget the outside influences. Uh, the key is your preparation, how you attack protections, um, you know, being able to think on the fly. What if they max protect the, you know, to the tight end side, you know, making sure that you have enough pieces of the pie so that you can attack the weak side, the strong side, show the weak come strong, show strong come weak, uh, pressure out of man free, pressure out of, out of your trap schemes or three deep. You know, a lot, you know, a lot of people, you know, I'm a big two trap man free. Everybody knows it. And, uh, you know, those are the things making sure you have adjustments built into those scenarios so that you, you can be successful. Um, but boy, I'll tell you the most important thing is making sure that you sell it to the players because Absolutely. they're the ones that are looking at you Forget the outside influences. You know, I mean, that's just, that has no impact in my opinion, the guys that you have to, you know, uh, prepare other players, the guys that you have to, uh, make sure they're with you through thick and thin are the players. And then it's up to you to give them the toolbox to be successful. I usually do kind of a fun weekly PSA inside of the podcast. And my PSA for this week is, guys, if you're a pressure team, don't save it for third down. Don't play base on first and second and pressure on third. Let your guys feel comfortable pressuring on early downs, especially if you're going to play a lot of press man-to-man. And also... Pressure against the good teams, pressure against the bad teams. If you pressure only when you're getting into trouble, the play, like you said, the players are going to sense that. And, I, and that's happened to me before where we were playing base and things started going wrong. And so I started blitzing. And so the next week when we played a team that was a little better, or I felt were better than us, uh, the players, I think, sensed that I, I felt like I was blitzing because I thought we were going to be in trouble from the beginning. And so my message, and I don't know how you feel about this, Coach, but you gotta if you're gonna pressure, you need to pressure in all situations or, or have the ability to do it, not just when things are going right or not just when things are going wrong. Uh, you, the key word is is what you, you know, and you said it there. You have the ability to control when you pressure and when you don't pressure. Don't let it go out of your hands. You control it. You're in control. And just remember, when you're an aggressive approach, you're not reacting all the time to the offense. You're acting. You're sending a message. 
you, you're, you're going to, your attempt is to get them to react in a certain way. And, um, you know, and I, but I just think the key is, is prepare your guys for all situations, personnel groupings, have your, you know, I define person, you know, when we get into certain personnels and, and, and offenses get into certain groupings, well, there's, you know, specific, you know, pressures that we have based on each separate personnel group. Uh, is it a rundown? Is it a pass down? You know, it's like I say all the time, you don't just throw this stuff up against the wall and hope it works. You have a clear, concise plan for first down that has both base principles and pressure principles built in to stop the run, uh, as well as attack, you know, play action pass and, and throw scenarios. You have your second down calls that are run pass, and you have your second down calls that are pass run. And then third down, your third and short, uh, you know, what are your calls on third and short? Are you going to get up there and play zero coverage and, and stuff the run? Are you going to play your two trap family and pressure them? You know, it's, it's, that's, that's the beauty of being an, uh, an aggressor. But here's the thing. The offensive coordinator is going to be worried about what you're doing too. And he's going to be working extra hard, you know, to solve those problems. It's funny. It's amazing to me how many times a, a graduate assistant will come up to me at, after a game that we've played and say, coach, this was a miserable week. I had to uh, draw 48 pressures that you guys have run since the beginning of the season, uh, you know, you know, so that we could get comfortable and, and, and de- deal with them. Well, you know, that you got three days to prepare for that. So that's, that's kind of a, I think that's an advantage, but again, I, I think the swing in coaching defense is that people are playing with more uh, aggressive elements, but I also think, you know, you got to be willing to, you know, get enough numbers around there to stop the run and not give it lip service. Absolutely. Now we talked about in the pre-interview and you kind of mentioned a little bit about the packages and, and, for those that have followed Coach, Coach likes to run a lot of different packages and, and put the best people in the positions. What are your top three or four packages, and what, when are they used? What, what do you use them for? Well, I, I think the one key is, you know, you, you, you have four down elements and you have three down elements. Well, you know, is it? In four down elements, is it one linebacker, one inside backer? Uh, is there a nickel on the field? Um, uh, the Viper, which you know is kind of a hybrid outside linebacker that usually uh, kind of chases around the tight end or is involved in the pressures. Um, and uh, you know, obviously, we get into three down elements. We play with three safeties and a Viper. Uh, plus your backer crew and the three down. But, you know, there's reasons for it, too. Now, in your four down elements, okay, those are your run pass 
those are good, you know, and, and, and there's certainly elements that we play in the pass game. We're in four down elements. But the reality is you're trying to get faster on a lot of those pass downs. So, you know, you, you know, in some cases you may have, you know, a big run stopper that's playing inside and you, you just tell them to come over there and have a seat with you for a couple of minutes and, uh, you know, put in a different guy so that you can, you know, create movement up front. Uh, the, uh, you know, obviously you're, you, you know, you can take out, you know, a base first and second down linebacker and throw and put in a nickel linebacker who can, who may be more of a pressure blitzer uh, than he is a cover guy, or you put in a cover guy. But the reality is put, you know, like take a, you know, we all have them, right, Chris? That good young guy, you go, boy, that guy can really run. He can rush the passer, but he can't play Sam linebacker because he doesn't know anything. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to plead the fifth on this one, coach. (laughs) Well, all I'm saying to you is, but the guy can really rush the passer. So put him in and let him rush the passer. Now you, you start handing out, you know, I, I shouldn't say it that way. You start giving guys jobs and letting them play to their strengths, things that they're good at they're going to develop confidence. So as they're developing confidence throughout their elements, then all of a sudden, you know, they're thirsting for more and more and more. It it really does create a contagious environment, which is very positive with those young guys. So don't always look at, well, a guy can't, he can't function in the entire defensive system. So don't ask them to put them in, put them in there and impact, you know, impact the game uh, on third down, uh, put them in there on first down. You, you know, he's a great edge rusher. We'll let him rush the edge. Uh, we have a young man by the name of Josh Uche. He's six foot two and a half was about two ten when he got here. So we, we, we you know, our whole process was to teach him how to be a linebacker but at the same time start interjecting him on some of our package stuff well lo and behold you look up at the end of this year and he leads our team in sacks uh he had the most impactful plays of any defensive player was named all big 10 uh and, uh, you know, the amount of snaps he played was, was, was somewhat minimal. Now, you know, we use him all over the place, you know, cause he can do a number of things, but his strengths are chasing the quarterback. Well, all, all of a sudden you got a great safety that you really like, and he's got really good, uh, scooch technique skills in man coverage. Well, why ask him to go in and play all the zone elements that he doesn't have a good handle for? But make sure you put him in there so he can play scooch man or whatever the the concept is. And I'm, I'm kind of just throwing it out where guys don't have to understand the entire structure. They just have to let them do the things they're good at and, and confidence will follow them. And then when you get those guys confident, sky's the limit. Well, let me ask you this coach. 
because I've thought about doing this, but I've always been nervous in high school. It's not even really high school. It's anywhere, even when I was in junior college and in four-year college, thinking this through, um, is when you have these packages, one, how do you make sure there's carryover? And two, what I've been worried about is segmenting yourself where, for example, if you have a dime package, a true 416 package, where you know I like to bring four from a side, so bring the one linebacker with one of the edge guys. And like you're saying, if this guy has great scooch technique, you know, get him in man, get these guys in man. How do you protect yourself from people picking up on tendencies? In that example where you're saying, okay, 416, coach likes to bring a five people and, and green dog the, uh, the back with the linebacker and play man free. As an example, how do you how do you mitigate those two things? Well, first thing is um, we have several different packages, okay? So for them to try to sort through that, they got to, you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, if you – if you work at it, you can at least assimilate it to some degree, but also you can move guys around and change the elements and change the pressure points from where you're, you're, you're pressuring and make sure you're all encompassing. You, you know what I'm saying? Don't just, for example, out of this particular package of, of group of guys run, for example, strong side pressure to the formation. Well, you better be to the formation, away from the formation, and do multiple things. See, here's, here's an important item. We all deal with the no huddle, right? Absolutely. Agreed? We all deal with that. And if we don't, let me know where that is so I can move there, please. <laughs> Let's say this. You're in a four-down structure. You have three or four calls out of that four-down structure. Um, two of them, three of them are basic. One of them's, for example, a pass down stopper. That's not enough. They're going to have you, they're going to see what you do by, you know, the end of the first quarter. If, if, if they get you in that no huddle structure and, you know, they, they go fast on you, they'll keep you out there. And now you, you know, you got to have some, you got some issues. You've got to be all-encompassing whichever structure you use. You, you just can't ask those guys to do one or two things. So, for example, you're in a three-down structure. It's first down. You're in a run pressure, okay? Next, second down, you're in, and they're going fast. You're in a three-down structure, basic, so you're playing them with base football. Now you get them to third down. You better have a third-down pressure that you can go to whether it be strong, weak, or middle. So becoming real, much more diversified and having several calls in each structure. Now, here's the key. If, all of, if each one of these, there's brand new concept, meaning what are we talking about with concept? We're talking about the back seven. Right. You know, all you've got to do is do a good job on the back, back side so of – showing a, a particular look, whether it be man, whether it be zone, and having the ability to move and play. But you can't play 27 different structures back there. So make sure whatever you do in your bases, 
you do you do in your pressures, and there's correlation between the both. And that's been uh, the biggest thing for me was don't just, you know, you, uh, you jump into three down, you have one or two pressures. Well, guess what? You're in no huddle. You're stuck out there with with one or two things to do. So we really do a good job, I think, of making sure we have several concepts that you could basically stay out there and play on first, second, and third down. So, you know, and with a, with a change of personnel, you know, we plug those, you know, those guys get plugged in the way we do it. They have a, a particular home in four down. All right, we plug in, for example, a backer, and now he has a particular home base to start from, a structure to start from in three down, which is pretty similar. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's how we roll. No, it seems like to me where a lot of defenses have more coverages and more stuff out of a, uh, one or two personnel groups, you seem to mix it all and you seem to be focused, if I'm, if I'm hearing you right, you seem to, and believe, I know you have all the tools, but you seem to be looking at the packages first, which is really a unique concept. It's almost like a West Coast style defense where we're going to hit you with a bunch of different personnel groups. We're going to keep it simple for the kids, but we're going to be multiple through our personnel groups and our looks to try to confuse you rather than, okay, you're going to play 97 versions of man match quarters out of one or two personnel groups. You just hit it on the head right there, you know, but more importantly, you know, what we're trying to do and, and, and that's what you, you've said, you've said it to me and, and during the conversation here, well, they're, they're trying to figure out which groups you're in and then try to attack. That's what we're searching for. Let's turn the tide and make them deal with us just like we have to deal with them. And, and I find myself personally, and, you know, I, I feel that way in July and August. And then when, as the season goes, you know, defensive coordinators by, I, I believe, a lot of us by uh, by trade or paranoid is maybe the wrong word, but worrisome. Like, okay, we, do, do we cover everything? Uh, do, do we make sure we, we talked about, you know, second, second and short inside the 12-yard line? You know, we're always thinking about that stuff. Where I feel like the offensive guys are more cool and just like, hey, man, we're going to run our plays, whatever, man, you know. So, but I think as the season goes on, you have to tell yourself that. You have to remember, hey, you're not always having to defend everything they do. Make them defend you. You just hit it on the head. There's a great, that line you just said is is kind of, you know, you're trying to change the clock a little bit. You know, it's not all about them. At some point, it's got to be about what you're doing. And if it's not, you better take a look at what you're doing because then they hold all the cards. Right, and I and I just, I need to put that up on a wall somewhere to remind remind myself when you're in week eight and you're playing a team with eight personnel packages, you know, we'll make them react to you. Because I, I think that we talk about this, we coaches talk about these things in spring and in fall camp, and then you, you get seven films on a team, and you're trying to find these, you know, every little answer and every little tendency. And I think, and maybe maybe it's just me, but I think sometimes we, and, and I, maybe I'm transferring on other coaches, but we lose sight of that, and, and we got to remember that, hey, they need to defend us too. Excellent point, Coach. I love it. Now, I want to talk about defending the run because you said something interesting to me 
that I've always believed in, but it's become harder. And so I wanted to kind of get your take on it. You know, you've talked about fitting the run and having overhangs to both sides. Has that become more difficult in the world of RPOs, especially now where you're having teams throwing opposite side RPOs like you see Alabama does with uh, Tua? And I don't know if you've seen that practice because you don't have to go into it because obviously you've got a new guy with the offense and, you know, you got to keep the secrets. But has it become harder to get two overhangs in the run game? And if not, can you go over with coaches how you're still able to do that and then not take advantage of you and put you in conflict? Well, you know, the reality is, you know, and everybody knows where we kind of start, you know, and play a good amount of man free is that gives you the opportunity to play. uh, If they have six guys in the box, you can have seven. They have seven, you can have eight, you know, and you can take it all the way up if you want, if they want to put everybody in there. Um, You're by just by sheer numbers alone, you're going to have one more than they have. Now, uh, with with the advent of motion and H's, you know, you have to find a way when they get the extra, you know, when they create the extra gap, you know, bring the H back or leave the H on that side. You know, he blocks. You've got to have a replacement principle plus your gaps covered. I'm a big believer of of playing single gap defense. I'm a big believer in taking the chips off defensive linemen. Don't allow 600 pounds to smash a 290 pounder. Um, So to do those things, you have to find a way to outnumber them, you know, in the box. Well, that requires man free. Also, we and we've talked about it, um, in the trap principles, a lot of the principles, once the ball gets snapped, a man, but you have built-in overhangs. That that's the, that's the beauty for me. I'm shocked that more people don't go that route. But, um, but it is somewhat unique. So, you know, looking at it from that perspective, you know, becomes an issue. And I also am a big believer in movement up front. You know, how, you know, if you're just sitting there with your six technique, you're a four down front, you're sitting there with your six, your three, your two, your light five, and those guys are there, pretty easy to kind of take good, firm, hard steps and start knocking guys around. The minute you flat step a guy and switch gaps and, and you're moving and grooving or you're adding a backer, you know, that changes everything. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's the scenario that I'm firmly, I firmly believe in. And, uh, I'll go to my grave saying there's no doubt in my mind movement hurts inside box run plays. And then you have to have an overhang to deal with the perimeter. And in some ways you've got to find a way to be inside and outside a puller versus the bluff, you know, split zones, the bluff play where they bypass the defensive end. And, you know, we're a big believe, big believers. You brought it up at the beginning of the, of the a podcast. You know, we're going to, 
we're going to knock the ball to the perimeter and let our athletes chase it down. Love it. That's how we play. And we, and I feel the same way as you in the two trap world. Our number one pressure since 2012 has been, we bring a safety from the field. We replace them with the linebackers playing a vertical hook technique. And our corners are basically playing trap. And especially for the jet sweep stuff, you know, those guys are using to block those overhangs and stalk them. And all of a sudden the overhang jumps inside. So the number two receiver has to come block flat. The corner jumps inside. So now the X receiver, the Z receiver has to come flat. Now you have a halves player over the top of two guys who have just literally running towards the sideline. And now he can come off the roof. And it's just, it's underutilized. And I'm with you. More teams, I think, should use that sort of stuff. Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I've been playing it for a long time. And we've gotten big time use out of it. You know, we play other assorted coverages that, uh, you know, I wouldn't say a lot of them. But, you know, you got to, you know, in this day and age, you got to be able to outnumber the box uh, and you, or, or you better be ready to find a way to have an overhang on your flex. So which, whichever you have in your coverage structure that satisfies, that can satisfy those scenarios, boy, I think you're way ahead of the game. Absolutely. Now, let me ask you, because I've heard you say, and maybe I'm just not understanding this, which is entirely possible, but I've heard you say that you don't necessarily spill or box in the run game, but you dent. Can you explain that to me and the listeners? Yeah, denting is, um, you know, and I, the old, I, I refer to the old way of spilling is the wrong arm technique used by defensive ends or, in, in, from our scenario, line that are basically wrong arming and taking away the inside run lane um, by throwing the wrong shoulder. Okay. So basically you're taking the outside shoulder and you're running through the inside shoulder of the puller. Well, that's great because you're going to end up securing that gap. But what you don't do, what you do do now is you give up the ability to gap and a half. If your shoulders are square and you're attacking the inside pad and you punch, you know, you stun the guy with your hat and your hands, you can now play, you know, you've taken care of your inside gap, but now you can tear the offensive lineman off and get back and play the outside gap. So, you know, in essence, you know, we're a gap and a half. Um, now, some people will will call it, you know, playing, you know, in essence, you're playing two gaps. Well, you're, you're playing one gap, but you're able to rally and help. You're not giving yourself up by throwing your opposite shoulder. You know, big, the, the old lineman now, they just pin you, turn you, and you're done. You, well, you've done your job, but you're not playing. You're not, you're, you've taken yourself out of the play. We're big believers in not giving up one for one. So, uh, you know, that's a way for us to get the guy involved and play both sides of the block. Are you wanting to get that ball? I mean, because I always, and I learned this from Rex Ryan, and I know there's been a lot of coaches who said it before him. It's just he happened to be the first guy that I heard say it was, we'll never trade one for one, but we will trade two for one. But going back to where you're fitting this stuff, 
Are you still you're still trying to get that ball knocked out? You just don't want to use the wrong arm, quote unquote, technique, so to speak. Do I have that right? Yes. We're knocking the ball out, but we've given ourselves a chance to run to that ball by keeping our shoulders square. Does that make sense? Yeah, yes, it absolutely does. And if you watch us, our linebackers look, you run the counter GH and you pull the guard. Obviously, defensive end's gonna dent, but so's the linebacker. And then the free the remaining linebacker or the overhang safety or you know, or uh the viper on the run through, you know, you're gonna knock the ball to somebody. You're not knocking it. You're not knocking it to oblivion. There's somebody that's going to replace for you in that realm. Yeah, you know, usually we tell the end, you're going to try to take two pullers, but if you can't fit inside the first puller, backer's going to fit inside the second puller, and then whoever's going to, the back, the other backer's going to jump over the top and the overhang that's coming down outside in or inside out, but trying to get outside there you go. is going to fit outside you, that second you, puller. Now you're talking, right? Yeah. Because everybody, you know, the worst thing that can happen, that ball... That ball fractures you vertically inside, and everybody's running to their spot. You got major problems because you they cut your defense in half. Right. I know you can't see me because this is a podcast, but I'm smiling ear to ear because I've always played like this. And so many people this off season have said, "No, you got to start boxing everything." And I, and listen, I know there's different ways to do things. I get that, but there's been a lot of people over the last eight months that have said, "Hey, no." I know you like to spill, but the RPOs, you got to box everything and, you know, you got to play with a lever, you know, lever spill lever concept. You can't have overhangs to both sides anymore. And it's it's warming my heart <laughs> that you're still you're saying there's still a place for this because this is how I grew up coaching defense. So I'm fired up. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I mean, the one thing you got that you have to do is you gotta believe in yourself. You got to believe that you're. You know, you're preparing, you know, your guys the right way. And, uh, you know, stopping the run goes along. You know, everybody always says, oh, you know, they're a big pressure team. Well, we do a pretty damn good job of stopping the run if you look at the numbers over the last five years. So, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a big believer of structure, of taking away vertical run lanes. And, uh, you know, the one other piece, in all this zone read, you know, we were talking pressure, is I don't think you can just play things the one way either. For example, the zone read, read you know, we, we're going to close with our pup technique and, uh, you know, defend the zone read in the ends, you know, as a quarterback player, but, you know, it'll help on the running back. All those scenarios, every once in a while, that end's going to go, climb up the field and go hit that quarterback or climb up the field and shimmy and play both phases, which we do some. And uh, you just can't play it sedentary in one way. You got to give them tempo changers so that you don't play things one way all the time. Absolutely. So, going on that, uh, we were talking about playing, sitting the dive. Will you still sit? And this is kind of jumping ahead, but when you're playing 10 personnel zone read, let's just talk four open, two by two, three by one, doesn't matter, zone read, and you're playing either two trap or, or cover one, I believe you call it city coverage, 
Are yep. you trying to get the three technique to the back so sitting makes your life easier, or do you not care? Will you still put the one technique no, to the back care. and sit? We don't care. The key is you've got if you're in two trap, you've got five guys to six lanes, right? So you've got to cancel one of those lanes, and obviously we always try to cancel cancel a lane not to the back, away from the back. You know what I'm saying? But you've got your overhang away from the back as well. So, you know, that's, that's the whole key. And I watch this a lot on tape where people will, you know, they're defending with five guys, you know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't look at it that way. You know, I look at it five with two overhangs, you know what I'm saying? Same. If you're Absolutely. cover two principle man free, you know, you've got the natural, you got, you got the six guys plus an over top safety. You know what I'm saying? So while you can cover all the gaps. Right. How do you prevent from getting creased? Because one thing, you know, we've we've experimented with sitting the end. We've always been a chase, uh, a chase to dive just because of the stuff that we see with these amazing running backs. We just want to, if they're going to let us have the choice to take the ball out of his hands, we're going to try and do that if they're giving us that option. Well, I think part of it is the the evaluation on a week-to-week, you know. All right, like you just said, you just presented – the running back as the major problem. Agreed? So you better yes. find a way to make sure you cover all your internal seams and force the ball to be kept by the quarterback. You know what I'm saying? Right. Or you go with you know, you go with the six man principle, what you're definitely defending the zone play first and you're rallying to the quarterback. You know, and that's just week to week, you know, all right, what are we most fearful of here? The ball in the Q's hands or the ball in the running back's hands? And, um, you know, you know, obviously you're playing, you know, Michael Vick, you may be concerned more about the quarterback, but if you're not playing Michael Vick, you may be, and it's, uh, you know, you know, a guy that's really uh, not a dual threat guy, but a throw first guy. Well, you know, obviously you got to take the, the run game away first, but you know, uh, that, you know, you can obviously movement is a key to a lot of, a lot of issues. And that's where I believe we take the advantage back. When you start creating movement and offensive linemen have to make the adjustments with the movements, I think you kind of gain the advantage back. That's, that's just me. That's about as far as I'll go with that, by the way. <laughs> That's fine. Well, I, I do have one question for you, and you can tell me pass if you'd like. When you're talking about playing the zone read and, and, and leaving the one technique, you don't care if it's the one or the three. If you're sitting that end, how do you keep yourself from getting creased? Because anytime that we've tried to sit the end to the one technique, there's been a little bit of a crease. We always offset the backer to that side. Got it. Makes always sense. offset the backer to the side of the back. You follow me? Yes. And then utilize your movement of your front to the opposite side to make sure that you guarantee that the ball spills. Right. Gotcha. And there's three or four different ways of doing that, but you got to have the linebacker to the side of the back. Right. And then we have movement calls based on that that will, you know, ensure that the ball gets, if he goes to the other side of the the offensive line, the ball is going to get splatted. You know, it's going to get kicked out. 
Right. Now, you know, I know you play a lot of cover one, and I've seen, um, I, I, I saw the, the notes from the Lone Star Clinic you, you did down in Texas, and you talked about having built into your city coverage where if the Y is off, you will rock and roll the safeties based on the flow of the Y. And I've also seen it where you've traveled the guy where you've just locked a guy on the Y. And if he goes across, he just runs with them and you leave the other safety high. When do you, when do you use each one? When do you, what situations do you like to, 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 to combo that guy, that, that Y that's off. And when do you like to just have one guy lock on him and run with him? Well, when you got the two safeties, it's easy, right? Right. When you got the two safeties that are working together, it's easy, right? Yes. Because they're both playing off that one guy. So you can kind of camp the opposite guy. You know, tight end comes across, he'll spin and play. Tight end stays, he'll rotate to the middle. You know, when it's when he does when you don't have somebody for him to work with, then you travel. It's that simple. If the two safeties are tied into, for example, it's three by one, and they're tied into the number two receiver, and the tight end is the number three receiver, well, that's the Vipers guy to cover. You know what I'm saying? So if he goes over there, the Viper goes over there. If he stays on his side, then the Viper, you know, reads supports. That makes sense. Now, when you're in your your cover one stuff, um, when you're playing with your rat rules, when you're playing a rat in the hole, what are you telling that rat? Um, what are you telling the guy that's dropping the rat? How do you coach up when you get those crossers? Well, in 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 your man stuff, uh, you know, it's it's more of he's a whole player. And it's it's verbal communication with whoever he's whoever he's going to switch with, but a lot of it is based on the QB's directional. Whereas there's also another coverage that we play where those guys are tied in to those crossing routes, and their rules tell them to take it over. Now the good thing is sometimes you'll look at it and say they're in man free, and we're really not because we're passing everything and, or you look at it and say they're in z- the, the zone concept and we're really in the man concept. And it all depends based on the verbal communication, whether it's man free or the zone, you know, there's not enough time in the, in, in this conversation, but it's two different concepts. So it's, you know, uh, if we're getting a ton of mesh, and, and crossers, we're going to match. And uh, there's specific rules if whether the guy goes under or the guy goes behind. Right. That makes sense. And, you know, everybody can create their own rules for that. You know, you just kind of put your brain on and figure out what's best for your guys. You know, you may have a, a thug in there who's good in the run game, but not a great pass defender. Well, leave him in the hole and let the guy carry through or let it go to the backside, you know, inside guy. But, you know, those are the things that, you know, your personnel will determine how you're going to go ahead and approach that and, and coach it. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, it, it, it does. You have to have those different change-ups and, and give people different presentations in terms of what routes you're seeing and, you know, break rules where the guys can't just pick and say, okay, well, if this guy crosses, this guy's going to cut the crosser and he's going to go looking for the dig. But, you know, again, going back to your philosophy that you said earlier is, you know, you control what you want to do. Right. Make sure you don't let it out of your disposal. Right. Now, in the two-trap world, uh, I know you said you like to use this a lot. Your, your overhangs, your, your guys that are working off of two, do you have, there's two ways that I've seen to play it, and I'm curious as to what, um, how you teach those guys. Are you having them wall two vertical and looking outside to come off if one comes in, or are you going to keep that guy on number two and let the corner take one back inside if he runs a slant or a dig? Well, it all depends on alignments of, of number two in proximity to the core. So that's how we kind of determine that. But, um, again, you know, basically it's, you know, it's a cover two principle and a crease principle, a crease alley outside number one support system, or it's, uh, you know, the corner in the trap or the safety stepping down based on the split of, uh, you know, the X or Z receiver. But a lot of it's determined by the alignment of the second receiver. And, you know, again, it, it, it's, there's a lot to it, you know. Uh, but our guys are experts at, you know, determining, you know, what's, what's the best thing to be in, you know, playing it as a true cover two or trapping it. So, you know, and that's, that's, that's the big thing. You, you just got to set up what's the best rules for your guys. Absolutely. I have one more coverage question for you. When it comes to one of your top coverages, I know that you like to use bracket coverages a lot on third downs um, and where you're bracketing a receiver to each side. Maybe it's both the inside guys. Maybe it's an inside guy to one side, outside guy to the other. My question is, how much carryover is it for the down guys from adjusting from a city type concept to a bracket style concept? How, is there a lot of new teaching when you go in for the for the down overhangs? No, because just think about it for a second. You know, whether you're one guy or you're two guys, right? You're basically, you know, premising off off a particular receiver, so it's a man to man principle. So that's how we look at it. We're basically teaching man to man, and two bends out, one guy takes it, two bends in. The other guy takes it. So it's, and if two's vertical, it's hang. So, you know, that's how you, how you deal with it, you know, and you can double anybody, you know, that's not hard. You just got to make a decision on what you want to double and what you don't want to double on who, you know, it, it may be as simple as, well, that guy's really good. Make sure you double him. Okay. So it's not, it's not a true double in the sense that I'm going to follow this guy wherever he goes. It's more of a, if he does this, I take him. If he does this, you take him. And then if I don't have him, I do X, Y, Z. Yes. Then you're, then you're in your, you know, your, your, your rules of off the quarterback's intentions. Right. And that's out. That's, I mean, we're talking basically a form of quarters coverage, correct? I don't know. I don't look at it like that because, again, we look at it, you know, it's a basic man, you know, it's man principled, no zone principle. But 
you know, some people may look at it, you know, that way. We just, you know, do it off the things that our guys know and are comfortable with. You know, if you were a quarter team and you were then bracketed, you know, maybe you'd look at it that way. You know, if you but we're a man team, a man free team, so we look at it differently. Right. It's more of a man match quarters than his own match quarters. Yeah, I saw an interview with you where you said we're never going to play quarters coverage, and I, I got a shot right to the heart, coach. <laughs> I was like, no. Sorry, dude. I I feel like you end up coaching all the adjustments all the time, and you're not coaching the coverage. Yeah, there's yeah, there's definitely truth to that. I'm a big techniques and fundamentals guy, and I think you know when you get into those things, you end up spending more time on all the uh, adjustments that you got to make. Well, Coach, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. This has been a a real dream of mine, and I can't thank you enough. But before I let you go, every week we ask the same questions of our guests, and it's a question to get kind of a flavor for the coach and how they think of things. And here's the scenario for you, okay? It's national championship game. It's fourth and eight from the 35-yard line going in. Your opponent has a great kicker. There's about 12 seconds left. They're just trying to get to the sticks, get the first. They trust their kicker to line it up, kick the field goal. You're only up by two, so you got to prevent them from getting that, that ball there. Off the top of your head, gut reaction, if you're in that sort of situation, all things being equal, they're going to be in either two-by-two two or three-by-one open. But all things being equal, they don't have a, a certain stud or anything like that. What's your gut telling you you're going to do? Show max pressure, bring four, and and, uh, and play a play a zone concept that you know dumps guys into into the uh, inside lanes, and we match the guys outside. But this four man will be an overload. This four man pressure will be an overload. So he'll the quarterback will feel it like pressure, and think you know from there that he's going to get man. Awesome, coach. I can't thank you enough for coming on and, and your time. Uh, I really appreciate it. I know it's right before camp, so coming on means a lot to me. Good luck this season, and I hope to get to talk to you again soon. Thanks, Chris. It was a blast. I hope you enjoyed this week's show. It was a real honor to interview Coach Brown few housekeeping notes if you like the podcast you can rate it and review it on the app of your choice also make sure to follow me at coach fast and the podcast account at mdga pod on twitter also be sure to stop by my website www.coachfast.com to see links to the pop-up clinics guest blog posts links to articles i've done a form to fill out if you're interested in having me consult your football team in the offseason and a way to sign up for my mailing list to let you know important news and announcements. Also, when the in-season Q&A podcast begins, you'll be able to go to the website and ask questions that myself and a guest will answer to help you with your game planning. This podcast exists because of listener support. If you like what you've heard and you feel it's worth donating, you can do so by going to www.coachvast.com slash donate, or you can donate directly on Venmo at CoachVast or Cash App, that's dollar sign, coach fast all funds are being reinvested back into the podcast and the website and will be used to continually improve the products and last but not least always remember the quarterback can't see with tears in his eyes